0: This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures! Uh, half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy! <laughs> <sighs> order and welcome to episode 103 of the half inches podcast as i like to say to my friend Paul Knauer, like a bantha like a bantha
1: how are you paul you're all done like a bantha is if nothing else this 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 series of boba fett will be remembered for all of the wonderful gifts and memes it's giving us and that is top of the pile like a bantha
0: my favorite thing about memes is that have you seen uh Someone will often bring out a, a calendar of like memes for the year, and so this this was the peak meme in January, February. Oh wow! And and it's you just don't know what's gonna what it's gonna be like. You know, is it gonna be a tragedy? Is it gonna be something from a TV show? Is it gonna be something super dark? Like what is it? And I feel like this like a Bantha is is right up there. So i am seeing it everywhere. It's it's so good. I I can't stop saying it.
1: I think what made it so good for me watching it was it became less Boba Fett. And more to Mira Morrison. He looked legitimate like when he was smiling as well. It looked like there was very little acting going on. It was it was it was so good. It was look, there's so much Star Wars, so much Book of Boba Fett to talk about. But I do before we get there down, I do have to say that I will acknowledge last week on the podcast I made some statements that were predictions about what would happen. Uh, specifically what would not happen. And I don't know how I have any right to do with this podcast because I clearly have no clue about what's going on in the universe of Star Wars. We'll get there later, but I wanted to acknowledge that I was wrong again, and I'll be going for the hat trick later on.
0: <laughs> I think, you know, for our listeners at home, they might be like, you guys are real out of sync with when the the episodes of yeah. The Book of Boba Fett are coming out because we usually record our, our podcast typically on a, on a Wednesday night and it releases on a Friday. And... Unfortunately, Disney didn't consult us when they were talking about their release schedule for the show. And so often by the time we finish an episode, the new episode of Boba Fett's coming out. So our predictions, I imagine a lot of the time when people listen to the pod are like, these idiots, they're so behind the eight ball.
1: (laughs) We really don't know what we're doing. And I don't know why Disney did not consult us. I just realized I haven't laughed much today. And every time I laugh, it really hurts. I've just had my booster shot and it's (laughs) so painful. So if you could stop with the jokes, that would be great. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was going to make another Panther joke, but I'll hold out. Moving on to the uh, the usual topic of uh, the show, what have you been watching, Paul?
1: Dan, I have watched the 1995 Bond movie, GoldenEye. The Pierce Brosnan era has begun. Uh, and this, this is the Bond movie that I've seen the most, because um, it came out when I had heaps of time in the 90s with no kids. There were no streaming services back then. And I remember, you know, when you've got a few movies, you sort of tend to rotate. This was the one I've seen the most. This is Pierce Bosn's first. It's uh, years after a friend and a fellow 00 agent is killed on a joint mission. Uh, A Russian crime syndicate steals a secret space-based weapons program known as Goldeneye. And when I think about the story, it's kind of almost, I don't even find the story too uh too sort of central to the to the movie which is a weird thing to say about any movie but this movie has aged very well in terms of the the dialogue the acting some of the effects the watching it has a very 80s feel there's still a lot of things that feel like um like the script isn't there by modern standards but it's it's like maybe the mid-90s weren't as good as i thought but um this was a great watch and it's um it's one of my all-time favourite Bond movies, this one.
0: That is a, a big call cool and it's uh it's got a Star studded cast, does not it, GoldenEye? But I've gotta say, before we even talk about the movie, the thing that I always think about with GoldenEye is the Nintendo sixty-four game. Yeah. Where you could have like four of your mates and you could run around playing uh, spies, it was such a fantastic game, and just even looking at the poster is bringing back those uh Golden Eye in 64 vibes,
1: yeah. Oh, it's 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 legendary that game. The game, in some respects, has become almost more uh, what's the word, Winston? The, the the myth, the fame, or whatever around mm-hmm. it is bigger than perhaps even the the movie. I never owned a Nintendo 64, I was always an Atari ST and a Spectrum computer. I was like, I never had a console, and I would actually go to my friend's house that had the console specifically to. To play that game it was it was fantastic it's the movie is one of the greatest bond introductions of all so we've got bond entering the scene on like this 200 meter bungee the bungee jump stunt was real i remember watching a documentary about how they filmed it absolutely incredible sean bean is amazing as the the bond villain as as 006 gone bad and judy dench comes in as m and she really makes her mark on that role of M. She delivers an M that, for me, is number one of all. Like She she has so many great roles. But she was born for M, for me. I think she's just quintessential M.
0: I agree. I think she's definitely a favourite M. Interesting to see that Desmond uh, Llewellyn um, is still in his Q in GoldenEye as well, which he's had a fantastic run, hasn't he?
1: Oh, he really has. And I, it's funny you should mention because I really already just from this movie the relationship that desmond Llewellyn or q had with with bond or uh, desmond Llewellyn just seems to be having so much fun with the role as he gets older like i said in the last one he was spent a lot of time out in the field with timothy Dalton, but this one he you know he's getting quite old by this point and so when he's talking uh, and i say this with respect he sort of he smiles quite a bit like he's having so much fun he's actually sort of smiling behind the character and it's 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 really really nice to see um the you, you talked about the cast i mean even some of the smaller characters were you know played by top actors like robbie coltrane and alan cumming in sort of a, a comedy role um the the character of um on a top play by famke jensen is is crazy she's manic she's one of the most sort of memorable actresses just to, to that opposite bond as, and as the baddie she has a lot of over the top fun shall we say it's i mean other than the, the i've talked about the, the dvd quality um i just have very few complaints about this it's um it's it's right up there and of course I haven't even talked about Pierce Brosnan who's come in and, and he is for me a really great Bond in terms of the combinations of the things that he pulls out from each Bond that I really like so he's kind of got that sort of suave Sean uh he's got some innuendo one-liners like Roger Moore and he's got a fair dose of the of that, that grittiness that I was talking about with Timothy Dalton although yeah it's um for me I'm gonna go right ahead and place it up there in my top five which when you think about Whoa, when you th- it's, it's yeah when you think about this 25 ball movies for me it's right up there with so far from russia with love the living daylights casino royale skyfall and goldeneye yeah for the top five
0: wow well, i i can't wait once you've completed this whole run to see how that sort of top five shapes up in the end
1: yeah i don't i don't know if i think going to top it um three to go it's been a it's been one hell of a journey but it's it's always a highlight um so yeah so that was uh, question,
0: question for you Paul yeah. are you not going to watch the the Daniel Craig movies again for the sake of the uh timeline even though you we have just recently done a, a big review on those movies well
1: it's interesting you use the word timeline because and we've talked about this a lot, a lot. I've been watching this you know with Diana and my son and we've uh we often talk about, oh, you know, these are different canons, and of course, the Daniel Craig movie arc is its own its own independent movie run in terms of the characters. You know, it's him starting off. We've got a different Blofeld story. There's um, there's a number of things. You know, Felix Leiter was very badly injured and lost his leg in uh, the Living Daylights, and so so there's. So it's its own thing, and so this is for me its own run. Just like the Daniel Craig that you and I watched together all the way through to No Time to Die is its own run. So I feel that when we get there, that's that's us.
0: Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. It's a vehicle. What else have you been watching?
1: So the other thing I have watched is a um, six-part mini series um, from twenty twenty called Belgravia. Um and so this this in New Zealand is available to watch on T V and Zed on Demand. Um, Belgravia follows events uh, in nineteenth century London with the established upper classes rubbing shoulders with some of the less so, shall we say. We've got the upstairs, downstairs. Um this this is from Julian Fellows, who is the you know, the creator of Denton Abbey, Gosford Park, and and many other wonderful things that he's done but it this is a lot uh it's darker it's um i keep i keep feeling like i use the word grit a lot but it's grittier um it's a less optimistic um view or portrayal of how of upper class life it's like it's not quite as if you think about something like Danton Abbey, it's not quite like that it doesn't paint a picture of anything that you might want to be a part of. Whereas sometimes when I watch Dungeon, I think, oh, it would be fun to live in those times. And it maybe it's more realistic in in that respect. Who knows? But um, it's a it's a really well put together series. Six episodes, um, great cast, and it is right up my alley. I had a, a really good time watching it. Have you seen this one or come across this one at all?
0: No, no, I, I haven't come across it. And at first. There is an, another sort of spin-off Downtown Abbey show as well at the moment, isn't there? Like like gold something? Am I? Is there? I don't know. You got me I'll, excited. I'll look, it, I'll look it up while we're talking. Okay. Um, but no, this hasn't come across my radar. It does look interesting. I haven't seen all of Downtown Abbey, but I did enjoy it when I watched it, and it's always sort of been a, yeah. a show kind of on my radar to go back and check out at some time. So what, what sort of era are we talking about for this show?
1: yeah so this is um 19th century um so it's uh i'm forgetting exactly when uh downton actually started because i know of course it went through the war but um uh this this feels somewhat earlier um, but very similar timing it's um Yep. Mm, interesting, interesting. Look, it looks good. I
0: just uh, looked up the the spinoff to to Nathan Abbey, which which just come out on Neon, I believe, called the Gilded Age. Oh, is and that a spinoff? Yeah, and so that's with uh, the Dowager uh Con- Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, it, yeah, that, yep. We've seen this the sort of the the poster for that, and we've added it to our list for when all the episodes drop. We're waiting right. for all the episodes to drop, but I didn't actually realize that's that's great to know. Good to see. I'm learning on the podcast that i appear on this this does have a confusing first episode so if anyone gives it a go i won't talk spoilers but it's a very confusing beginning it doesn't make sense until you get to the second episode but of course not everyone might wait until the second episode to get there because it sort of contradicts itself and you're sort of sitting there going why is why are you showing that if this has just happened and it does get there eventually so if you can go go past that i think you'll you'll enjoy it
0: I guess the good thing is with a show like this, being six episodes long, that like the the entry's relatively easy, isn't it? So
1: that's that's it exactly. The, the number of episodes is right on the money. It's like I I don't need to go on any. It didn't I it didn't need to go on any longer. It, any shorter, it might have been felt rushed. But I wasn't looking for another six season period drama, you know. It was, so it was great to have an entire story end to end in just six episodes, it and, and it is its own thing. It has a very. satisfying ending that is quite clearly an ending um the the, there were some things that i kind of thought why are you doing that so the music they try and make it sound a bit too downton abbey and i just think they should distance themselves if anything um it's like you, you don't need to be sitting there during the opening credits thinking about downton abbey but um that's that's about the only thing i i would complain about here this is um it's, this is just such a, a well produced thing. The, the costumes, the location shots are so good. There's these spectacular aerial shots. And we were like, where have they actually filmed this for this place to still look like that? And it's actually a lot of it is CGI altered views of Edinburgh. And um, mm. um, it, it's just really convincing because, of course, you're not looking for CGI in a period drama. Um, it's got our old mate. Adam James, who played the, he played the XO on board the HMS vigil. Um, he plays the sort of the villain of the piece as it were. He's, he's great. He's got such a good voice. Paul Ritter, another great actor. This is one of his last roles that he did. Um, before, before he passed away recently, um, yeah, there's, I I do love watching these sort of upstairs, downstairs, the meeting of those two worlds, the the aristocratic upper class and the working class and all the various accents that come with it. And the, the story with this one just just plays out really well, really enjoyable.
0: So one question uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, talking about Downton Abbey, you you know, what would it be like to live in that world? What would Paul Cano's role be in such a world? Would he be an upstairs or downstairs type of character?
1: I feel in reality I would be downstairs. I'd be 100% downstairs, shoveling in the coal, probably out sort of, you know, just, I don't know, I wouldn't even make it to Butler probably. But in my mind, I I would love to be the, you know, the Lord Grantham type. I I feel like um, I'd have a solid head on my shoulders to make good decisions for for the well-being of the family and I'd treat downstairs with respect. But the reality is I would be the one downstairs and probably would be just moaning all the time much like I am these days you know
0: indeed indeed Ah, that's that's good and is that you for this week
1: yeah other than what we watched together Dan that's me so what have you been watching Dan
0: okay so I've watched a a couple of movies and a tv show so the first movie that I'm going to talk to you guys about today you guys like like there's hundreds of you talk to you Paul Used but specifically representing the masses mm-hmm. is a 1998 movie called Rushmore. Now, this is a movie that I've kind of known about in sort of for its pop culture um, and for me, I guess. And I was listening to a, another podcast the other day, and they they were talking about this movie, and I was like, oh, I really should check this out. Like it's been it's been a long time, and i came across it on disney plus so as i say so this movie came out in 1998 it's a wes anderson movie and it's basically about this teenager who goes um to rushmore academy which is a school and he falls in love with a, a much older teacher and in the process kind of befriends uh an older middle-aged guy played by Bill Murray and he later finds out that the, the teacher that he, he loves is actually having an affair with, uh, with Bill Murray's character and it kind of prompts this vendetta against the pair of them. Is this a, a movie that you've seen, Paul?
1: No, I haven't and I've, I've, I've always remembered the title and even looking at the poster... I, you know, I recognize it. But what's interesting is a lot of the support cast I know, but the actual main guy who seems to be, you know, the the one that you're just talking about, I don't even know who he is.
0: This movie is fantastic. So it kind of has like a a darker, more serious Napoleon Dynamite type vibe to it to me. Like it's, it's, it's not kind of uh, as... Try as funny as Napoleon Dynamite, but it's it's very much got that vibe. And so, um, Jason Swatchman, who who plays Max Fisher, is just this kind of kind of annoying, kind of awesome kid. And so he goes to the school, and he's actually like he's he's not even a good student. Like he's basically terrible at everything, and he just gets himself involved in every single activity the school offers. And his his dream is just to keep going to school, so he doesn't really care if he's like passing or failing or whatever it is. He doesn't really have any friends and he kind of weirdly befriend, befriends these, these older characters like like Bill Murray's and kind of shows of another side of life. And it's got a, a real sort of Wes Anderson charm to the whole movie. Um, Star started cast, Brian Cox, um, Seymour Castle, uh, Olivia Williams, it's it's Luke Wilson. It's it's a really kind of like fun, kind of upbeat, quirky, good time. And for a movie that's you know, I'm pretty late to this. This is, mm. what, 23 years ago, whenever it came out. And I just had such a good time, and it's it's actually inspired me to maybe check out a few more of Wes Anderson's movies that I haven't seen, and a few of them on uh, Disney Plus here in New Zealand. So it was just a really fun, yeah, good watch.
1: Where's Anderson, you're definitely a fan of of his work. You know, I'm just looking through some of his stuff. You know, fantastic, Mr. Fox. You're always talking about this movie. I don't know how I haven't watched that yet. Um You've intrigued me because, yeah, this was one that, as I said, I seem to remember the poster quite vividly from, you know, the uni days, as it were. Brian Cox, one of my all-time favourite actors that I just, he just crops up from time to time. Bill Murray, always hilarious. And you use the analogy or the comparison to Napoleon Dynamite, which of course is just uh, its own unique for me it always felt, felt like its own unique type of um sort of comedy and so that's that's quite appealing too
0: yeah it's and it's weird right because you're right like i'm a huge fan of fantastic mr fox but for example i've never watched the isle of dogs i don't mm. recall ever watching the royal tenor or uh the oh, i forget the name of it the submarine one with bill my oh, the uh fantastic uh, what is that? The Life Aquatic with Steve. Uh, oh like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it's another one I haven't seen, but I, it's weird. Like, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm this Wes Anderson fan, but I'm, I'm not sort of watching the full catalog, so, I'm gonna have to jump into it.
1: Yeah, uh, that'd be an interesting journey to go. And I remember The Life Aquatic. That is definitely either that. It's like. Marmite or Vegemite? It's you either love it or hate it. One of those movies, I think. So it'll be interesting to see where you fall right. on that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, look, they're definitely all on my um, on my watch list. Next time I've got a bit of spare time. Nice. The other movie that I've watched this weekend is I've actually watched. Uh, uh, I, I was away for the weekend with some friends, and we were and we decided we'd watch a, a spooky movie, as you do, and. We watched a movie on Netflix called Orphan. So this is a movie that came out in 2009, and I think we we wanted to watch this movie at Halloween last year, and I don't think it was on Netflix. Now I want to talk about this movie in a bit of detail, Paul. So if if you're a fan of um, horror films, and I use this is a small age horror. This isn't this isn't. It's more of a thriller than a horror in my mind. I'm going to drop some spoilers and I'm going to ruin the movie. So if you want to watch this movie you might want to jump ahead sort of five minutes um, because I think to talk about this movie we kind of need to talk about the ending have you seen this movie and are you okay for me to talk about it?
1: I have not seen it I'm okay for you to talk about it and I remember this came up uh, just very very recently when people were giving us their peak performances for Vera Farmiga
0: Indeed. So, okay, so let let me sort of like paint the picture for you. So 2009, a husband and wife who have recently lost their baby adopt a nine-year-old girl who is not nearly as innocent as she appears. And so it's got one of those kind of great spooky uh, movie posters of this girl with um, ponytails and a kind of a a ribbon around her neck. And so the people who called out um, Vera for her... For her role in this movie, absolutely tops. And I think she she plays such a great um worried mother character and her her kind of her fear and her protectiveness and just, just everything kind of oozes out of her. But anyway, so the, the premise of this movie. So they adopt this girl from from an orphanage. And it's kind of weird, like It's in America. They basically, like, rock up to this orphanage. They, you know, through a series of events, kind of meet this girl, end up sort of adopting her and bringing her her into their home. And they've already got two kids. So there's instantly kind of the rivalry of new kid, uh, two existing kids. One of the kids is actually um, uh, deaf. And so um, the the girl they bring in, the the orphan, for the sake of the the movie poster, um, is – and her name's Esther – is – Kind of like she dresses, kind of real, sort of old, old timey. She kind of learns sign language. She learns things very quickly. Um, she's very good at art and stuff like that. Fast forward the whole movie. Kind of the the Esther the orphan is constantly sort of trying to separate the the mum and the dad and sort of like s- separate the kids, sort of cause disruption in the house. And it turns out through a, a series of events, and this is the big gotcha. So this is the bit you're going to want to skip if you're if you're really interested in this movie. As it turns out. That this isn't some paranormal activity, sort of some sort of like weird horror story. This um, nine year old girl was actually like a 33 year old woman who's got some like aging hormone thing going on where she doesn't age. And so basically she's like a a bit of a serial killer who goes on this sort of journey, like, you know, destroying families, killing people, and constantly sort of replaying this role as like a, a nine year old girl that gets adopted out. It's it's a it's a wacky concept. I really enjoyed
1: it. It's a it's a Benjamin Button style horror serial killer movie. That's that is quite a that is quite a gotcha moment. Um you you mentioned how you you know you're away with friends and ones that have that squeaky movie. You often talk about movies that you'll watch in the daytime with the curtains open and you know, we've talked a lot about the ones that are just absolutely where, where does this sit in terms of outright horror and outright scary moments
0: I think this is fine. this is fine you can watch this one at night um I think it's it's more of a thriller mystery than it is horror and especially like like I could easily probably watch this movie alone and not be too scarified but it was a movie that kind of like leaves you thinking it doesn't give you like the Blair Witch chills at the end this is sort of a oh wow that was sort of whack and there's a few sort of like jump scares throughout the movie but it's you know look it's it's one for everyone I don't think it's gonna be too scary
1: i'm intrigued i uh obviously you now i now know the, the the punch of it but my memory's terrible by the time i get to watch it i'll probably forget it's got peter Sarsgaard in it who i recently really enjoyed seeing in dope sick and i cannot wait to see him in the batman which comes out uh, very very soon so he's a favorite of mine um there's a lot of great there's a lot of great elements here and of course we've had a lot of people recommend it to us as well so nice
0: I think the other thing too which is sort of might be the a good time to watch this movie is it's not out in New Zealand yet, but there actually there's a a new movie sort of spin off movie of this I think it's called like Orphan first Kill and it's basically going oh. back uh to some of the the other the other kills I guess in in the orphan's history so it's yeah it's a it's probably a good time to get amongst good time to watch the movie, some great acting and yeah look. Don't be too scared. If I can do it, you can probably do it as well.
1: I think that is fair call. If Dan can do it at night, then that means it's fair game for anyone.
0: Indeed, indeed. Okay, so that was on uh, Netflix. You can watch that. The next thing I want to talk about is, is a TV show that I've been watching called Yellow Jackets, which you can watch here on Neon in New Zealand. So Yellow Jackets is basically about a, a wildly talented high school soccer team that becomes the sort of unlucky survivors of a plane crash deep in the Canadian wilderness. And this is a, a ten part TV show. It stars uh New Zealand's own Melanie Linsky, which is which is awesome to see. And we just, you know, talked about her a bit and don't look up actually. But this movie this sorry, this T V series Paul, is great. So it's it's made by Showtime. And sort of so the premise is you've got this this really good um girls football team and they go off on this on this trip Their plane crashes and it kind of tells the story from i guess like a lot of these types of shows like lost or the wilds or whatever it may be it's sort of telling it from different perspectives so you're getting sort of the story of the girls while they're surviving in the woods mm-hmm. you're getting the story of the survivors that we know about sort of in in present day and it's constantly kind of flicking back and forth between the two and this is an awesome series so while these girls and this isn't really a spoiler this is kind of stuff that happens in the in the first episode i think is these girls are stuck in the wilderness for i think it's 19 months and we're talking like deep deep canadian wilderness like there's no food um they've got like limited supplies there may be a little bit of uh, cannibalism in there, just to survive. Oh. There's some real sort of messed up things, and then there's a whole bunch of drama going on, also with the with the older characters as well. When we sort of go into the future, so it's this is a, a really um, fun and great watch.
1: There's a definite theme to your watches then uh, this week, and this again has the tags horror, mystery, thriller. This so this leans towards, uh, I'm guessing, this leans towards the mystery element a bit more as well?
0: I would say, yeah. So this is sort of drama mystery. There's some light horror. There's definitely some suspense. And I think what they've done really well in this TV show is, so obviously there's a, I think what is it, about a 25-year sort of time gap between the, uh, the, the teenagers when they're in the woods uh, to when they are as adults. And they've got, like, such awesome... Um, actress like older actresses to play the to, to play the the girls, hmm. and so we've got, as like I said before, like we've got Melanie Lynskey, um, we've got um, God, I can't think of her name, Juliet Lewis, know, Christina Ricci, Juliet Lewis, um, and it's it's just so good, and they. Like There's some fantastic characters, like there's this young girl called Misty who um, is played by Christina Ricci as an adult and she's like she's absolutely crazy. She's always sabotaging things, trying to sort of drug people, trying to convince people to love her and it's, you can tell that this whole cast is having a lot of fun.
1: It got a lot of, I remember seeing it being promoted heavily over here, it got a lot of hype, it's had a lot of favourable reviews, I've heard other people talk about it. You, you talked about it last week when you sort of said that you started it and it sounded great and so obviously it's... Finish great as well. This is this a first season or a miniseries?
0: This is very much a first season. Right. So it's one of those, I think, you know, the TV industry has learned a lot since Lost. I think they know to close off a few loops as they're going, don't just leave it all up in the air, but it's very much left open um and with with sort of more stories to be told. So I think this is probably gonna be, I would imagine, a show that we're gonna get a few seasons for because I think there's there's so many stories to tell and I feel like we're just sort of scratching the surface um of these of these girls and their survival journey. Um it's I would probably say my my only critique of it is so I think starts off super strong, um, really sort of like hooked into the episode, like one of those shows where I couldn't wait to sort of watch the next one. By the time we got to episode 10, I was starting to get, like, a little bit, like, tired. Like Tired's a strong word, but, like, it could have maybe been done, like we talk about sometimes. Yeah. Maybe it should have been nine episodes or eight episodes. But overall, it's a, it's a very small and sort of minor complaint in the scheme of the show. But highly recommended. Melanie Linsky, absolute, like, smashing it in this TV show. That's She's great. She's so good.
1: That's great. I haven't seen too much of her work, but we, we've seen her recently – um, it's great you're seeing her in this I would love now I'd love nothing more than this series to end with all kinds of threads up in the air and not solved at all now that you've predicted that they've learned from Lost I hope that they now finish with, with just how Lost did because I actually like the ending of Lost but I know a lot of people got triggered but
0: yeah no look I'm in the same camp I'm, I'm a big Lost fan so yeah I think if you're looking for your next kind of binge uh, this is this is definitely one I would recommend it's as I say it's it's got a little bit of sort of um, mystery light horror elements to it and it's more just because so much crazy stuff is going on with these survivors and in, in the woods that you just don't quite know what elements are at play but most of the things that are happening are kind of explained in in, in a relatively good way and it's got a it's one of those shows where sometimes like I want to stick more with them in the woods because I want to see what's happening and then I want to like I want to be with the the adult version of the cast because they're just as zany and as crazy so Yeah, look, it's it's a good time. You can check it out on Neon here in New Zealand. Awesome. Cool. Shall we jump on over to our review of episode, or should I say chapter six of the book of Boba Fett?
1: Indeed. So as always, full spoilers, it's going to be hard to talk about this if you haven't seen it and you want to use the show notes and jump ahead to movie of the week because we're going to talk about from the desert comes a stranger. Who's the stranger, Dan?
0: It's Cad Bane, Paul. It's Cad Bane. I've never felt so emotional during an episode of of television, and at the same time, like almost a bit like the previous week, I had such a fantastic time. But we didn't see much uh, Boba Fett. <laughs> no. But honestly, we just there was so much good stuff that happened. I just couldn't believe it. And you know, when I think back to last week's episode and we're like, does um does Din really have time to go and see Grogu? Like, is there any time for that sort of mucking around or is that just saving for season three of The Mandalorian? But we got that and so much more.
1: We did. And this the they didn't even waste any time. Like the instant the episode starts, it pans down, you know, to R to D uh, two and Mando walking over him saying, Oh, hello, old friend, I'm looking for, for Skywalker. I mean, it did not beat around the bush it jumped straight in to the point and and from there i started thinking oh, they're not you know he oh he's found r2 he's never going to find luke this is just you know and and it, every, every time i said oh, we're not going to do that oh they're not going to have that it just they kept giving more and more and more and I know right. so I feel like we almost just need to list
0: out all of the mind blowing things that happen. So we get to see them building the the temple, yes, which we obviously see in the uh, most recent Star Wars movies. We get to see uh, Luke training Grogu, which I think is awesome, I think for. Uh, future seasons of The Mandalorian because it's kind of going to give us obviously a bit of a, almost like a time jump type thing and his skills and abilities and um, if, if Grogu is in season three. Um, we got to see, you know, this is huge. We got to see Luke and Ahsoka together on screen together. Yep. Like we've, we like I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've ever seen that. Like that was a moment of like, oh my God, like even talking about it now, I feel a shiver down my spine. The fact that we've got, uh anakin's Padwan and we've got anakin's son together
1: oh it's it's monumental it, 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 yeah spoiler. it really is i mean i this is the first episode of this season that i have re-watched i watched this one twice so i've um and i i just like I, I feel like i need to take all and i feel like that in the future um we may be able to appreciate it even more because right now we're in the middle of well we're at the end of the season but you know we're still wondering what might happen next so it hasn't quite sunk in but yeah not only have we got ahsoka real life ahsoka and real life luke together having you know having having a chat but you know she's also ah just like your father you know there she's even going there and actually drawing a reference to anakin which of course luke never responded to but gave her a look um it was just every every line was just amazing. Oh, it
0: was perfect, wasn't it? We've we've got you know, we've got a, a great sort of Empire um strikes back throwback of um Luke and yes. Grogu kind of training scene. and then like, you know, even stepping away from where Luke and Grogu and Ahsoka are, we've got Cobb Vanth back again, which yes. you know uh, incredible character. Love that guy bringing his strong Deadwood vibes. We've got the introduction of Cad Bane. We've got people being uh, blown up. We've got a cameo of Boba Fett. Like, so much stuff. <laughs> a cameo is,
1: of Boba Fett.
0: You know, is, is, is happening in the show. And it's like, it's still kind of blowing my mind. And because I've rewatched this episode as well in, in preparation for the pod, full measure. And it's such a, you're right, like, not a moment of this episode is wasted. And they really just sort of like they're wanting you to watch the Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett. Like you can't separate these universes. Like you want to be ready for season three, you better do your homework and be watching the book of Boba
1: Fett. Yeah. The titles have gone out the window as far as I'm concerned now, because I've let go of what I was talking about last week about, oh, you know, we haven't concentrated on Boba because that seems inconsequential at this point. We're going in so many different directions and these stories are obviously going to overlap. And we'll see that again, I'm sure with Ahsoka and again with Mandalorian season three. Um, Yoda's lightsaber you know oh. we we haven't seen him with his lightsaber since episode three after his battle with Darth Sidious um there was just the the what you talked about the 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 training was so reminiscent of Empire Strikes Back the training remote that Grogo trains with um and then eventually destroys using the force um I did some thinking about that and I looked up online because I thought oh yeah that's probably the one from A New Hope but of course that's not because finn finds that on the falcon in the force awakens and it gets um, destroyed by ray in the rise of skywalker so this is another one but seeing that come back and for me the moment when when luke is um sort of training with his or doing some moves with his saber just in the in the forest sort of demonstrating to grogu that that one that really got me that that because luke has been a character we've talked about before that's quite special and that was a really unbelievable moment
0: and you know how good is the CGI now of Luke? So and I don't know whether you know this, Paul, but there was a, a deep fake put out um, yes. after. And oh, by the way, re you know, you know, redid Luke from The Mandalorian, and he, he did it way better. And Lucasfilm hired that guy to come and work with them to make this version better. And you know, I'm the first one to moan about crappy CGI. You are. <laughs> it's
1: top tier. I've got, it I've got no complaints. That's great. And it's The Voice as well. I did some reading about The Voice. They had a They've got a machine that takes... Uh, that was fed Mark Hamill's voice from his his career particularly his younger career Mark Hamill didn't actually come on to set or record anything they've got this machine that takes all of his voice and then is able to output how he's talking and by using I, I don't even know what the algorithms are but it's the voice for me was absolutely sensational I thought
0: it's Incredible, isn't it? And I think with this technology, and I don't know how I feel about it yet, I'm just going to say it, but you could have complete spin offs from you know Return of the Jedi with this other technology, right? Or you know, sub stories in between. Because with this level of technology to bring these actors back to life, the, the sky's the limit. Like, no wonder they're probably invested in it. Like, it's an yeah. incredible thing,
1: oh, it really is. What I find most interesting there, Dan, is because you know, we've talked about grogu and the mandalorian and 2 d2 and and luke and ahsoka but when i think about this episode and i think to a certain extent the the hardcore clone wars star wars audience the memory i take away from this episode and the thing that i'm actually most excited about going into the next episode i'm making a presumption here is cad bane and his so his entrance from a distance the second shot when he's just a little closer but basically the desert is one of the most iconic entrances into live action that i've ever seen and and from you know from the first moment we first encountered this, this so this is a character in clone wars you could tell if you've watched clone wars that this was a character who was going to be around for more than just an episode or a story arc he was he was here george lucas created this character it's one of his later sort of towards the end of when he was still working so There still was he modelled it. He modelled it. Sorry, after um, Lee Van Cleef's character from the movie *Good, the Bad, and the Ugly*, which I I love, and everything about this character, everything we've we've seen, I think most recently in *The Bad Batch*, he's just a character that is loved within the Star Wars community. And so, for anyone who hasn't seen the Clone Wars or the you know, he does show up briefly in Rebels, I think, um, probably wondering what all the hype is around this guy. As long
0: as the spice keeps running, Paul, everyone will be left alone. Now, this is I'm With You. What a fantastic entrance and what a what a powerful moment, right? Like, we're talking end of the episode. He's got the perfect sort of cowboy entrance. And I think what's even greater is, you know, they could have – there was probably a million ways they could have introduced um, Cad Bane, but to do it with Cobb who's already got that yeah. kind of sheriff cowboy vibe, was – in. It was just perfect, and at first I was like, "Oh, are we going to do this with Top? But it, it actually worked so so well, and I it, I think what this is going to do is make us hungry for more Cad Bane, mm. and I think you know we're gonna we've as you just mentioned we've already seen him in the Bad Batch. I think we're probably going to get more of him in the Bad Batch season two. Um, I hope that we get to see more of his character, uh, maybe in the Soka series or um, other things that maybe even uh, Mandalorian season three. And it's it's I think you're right, like. For that to be the standout moment and a show full of standout moments, absolutely incredible.
1: They did miss one thing, or for me, I hope we see it, and that's the little, you know how he sort of has like a toothpick or like a match in his mouth quite often? I'd I'd like to see that coming. Can we also just take a moment to quickly appreciate Corey Burton? Now, Corey Burton may not be a name that everyone knows. We, you and I, probably first heard him back in the 80s with the G1 Transformers as the voice of Shockwave, he is the voice of Cad Bane. He also voiced Dooku, and he is back voicing the live-action um, Cad Bane as well. Because the, the 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 one of the big elements of uh, the animated climb series is the voices and the voice actors, and Cad Bane is one of those really beautiful voices to listen to, and. So good to have him. Such a good voice. And when you, if you ever look at him, he does. He looks like the least likely person to voice Cad Bane. He looks like the nicest. He looks like. I was gonna say he looks like. He looks like me. He doesn't look. He looks like an accountant that looks, works in the office. You know, he just doesn't look like he would be evil or sinister.
0: He, I think he does. His, his IMDb picture very much looks like he's in the finance team or the, yeah, the HR team. That's right. Uh, and But a fantastic voice and uh, incredible portfolio. Mm. And I think, you know, again, like how menacing was Cad Bane's voice during these sort of few minutes? Like you, you genuinely sort of were in fear. Um, for everyone's safety, not Cobbs, I don't think, because I think he's, he's too much of a, uh, main character energy, but it's, it's just so good. And it's, it's got the internet a flurry. It's got us a flurry with where is this going to go for the, the final episode? And who else might we see? Because, you know, Dave Filoni, he rewards, he rewards <laughs> he those who are good. Like we said at the start, Paul, you've got to stick with it. It's going to be good. Good things will come. And there's just, there's so many options of things that could still play out in this final episode.
1: Oh, I told you not to make me laugh. It's really hurting now. Um, I, it was interesting you made the comment of Cobb Vance because what they did very cleverly, because of course, when we see Cobb, we know he's the fastest draw, you know? You don't go up against Cobb, but of course, Cab Bain came along. He's actually, do you know what? I'm the big boss here. And he did a sort of favour and took out that, um, what was his name? Deputy Scott, because he was just annoying from the start. This, you know, this, this, this really overly keen deputy took him out. That was great. Um, Cobb, I think, is just injured. Um, but yeah, I I'm coming into this next episode. I've got a bunch of questions. Uh, I I think would be good to ask you or at least talk about. It. But I am presuming we're going to have Cad Bane in this next episode and hopefully a story arc like around that. Because to just give us a little bit and have take it away would be that would be cruel.
0: Well, I think there's, you know, the thing is with a bounty hunter ball is they've got to be hired by somebody. And so who is behind, like, who is the, who's going to be the big bad? Pikes. Is it going to be,
1: pardon? The Pikes, surely.
0: <laughs> yeah, but like, who, like, who, like, there's got to be some, there's got to be a face to it, right? So, you know, is it going to be Cara? Is it going to be you know like who's our who's our um, Moth Gideon in this in this week? Yeah. Like the Pikes themselves are a bit of a, a faceless, bad guy entity, and I think we're we're in for another reveal.
1: Cara's a really interesting shape because, of course, we last saw her character in the movie Solo, and this is this is a long time down the road after that. So that would be a really interesting shape if it were if it were still her, you know, after she took over from. Um, Wow, uh draw Dross- No oh well Darth Maul sort of employed her, didn't he? Um but then of course mm-hmm. he gets he gets wiped out in Rebels. So I was thinking of the character your guy from WandaVision uh played in solo. Uh oh, Voss Vos Foss Dryden, yeah. is it? Yep. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's a really interesting shout as to to who that might be. I, I have been wondering who we might who who might well, I feel like you and I have been talking offline <laughs> today and keep sort of saying to each other, stop talking, talk about it on the pod. But we're trying to think who might show up. I've been having this conversation with a few people. I've had someone say it's going to be Wedge Antilly who's went to, who's going to be the big reveal tonight. Um, I think we may even see like a Sabine Wren. I don't think it would be Ezra because I haven't heard any casting around Ezra yet, whereas I have with Sabine. Well, you, we all have with Sabine. I'm wondering, I feel like there's going to be one more. I feel like they they've given us so much in episode six that they've almost I'm lining themselves up here. They've almost shot themselves in the foot by making episode six so good that how can seven follow that?
0: I, I know, right? Like I think that this is gonna be the thing. Like we're on such a high like we've been on a real sort of like roller coaster with this show, right? We've we've had a – f we've we started off okay, we went a little bit wobbly and then we kind of like really hit our stride. So I feel nervous that there's so much to kind of wrap up in this final episode. We know that at some point Boba's going to be right in the rank or in the battle. We know that there's still kind of like Ahsoka left um, Luke. Like is she going to sort of appear with um, Mando? We know that there's a whole bunch of other bounty hunters in the universe. Like we could have um, Bosk, for example, could somehow be involved. Like we've had quite a few sort of tradition um, scenes, yes. particularly in, in the club. Um, there's oh god, his, his name completely escaped me. The guy who's sort of a nemesis with Han Solo, uh, bounty hunter kind of is like the oh, danga, Dengar. like and uh, like this guy's the limit, right? And you know, I was kind of musing with you before the podcast started, you know, that's that's sort of on the bad guy's side, but what about on the Let's just say the good guys and air quotes. Um, so, like, who else could be appearing? Like, you know, could we get a, a a solo? Could like, you know, if we've got Luke running around doing training with Grogu, where's where's Han? Where's Leia? Where's Baby Kylo? You know, like, there's other people in the universe that, that I don't think we're going to get all of them, but. That there could be a chance, right? That like this is the type of shenanigans Han Solo might have to kind of wrap up with the pikes or, you know, some debt or payment. You know, like there's all sorts of kind of Star Wars lore that feeds into what this could be.
1: I'm just imagining if you and I were to be in the writer's room with Dave Filoni and John Favreau and Bryce Dallas Howard and all and all the gang. And we're just like they'd have to get the sedatives out for people like us because the names you've just reeled off there, Dan. I, as i said at the top of the podcast i've just keep getting it wrong every time i say well you know i think i said something last week like um oh it's not going to be luke and then i said something like oh and it shouldn't be as well because they need to keep it special because if he because if you show if, if luke shows up all the time then it's you kind of take away the uh the special it's like every year when i put the christmas lights up the kids are always like oh can we keep it all up yeah you know yeah and i'm like yeah we could but then it wouldn't feel as special when we get if we get to see them in a year's time it's kind of like do i'm gonna sound out of character but do i run the risk of is too much luke is that is that a good thing or does it then diminish the this the specialness i can't think of the word of having luke show up yeah look it's it's
0: it's tough right because as much as I love the Luke scenes and it gives me chills to kind of like go back to that part of my my childhood memory mm. I do like I don't want to sort of overuse that technology either and i you know as much as luke is a is a fantastic character, sometimes some of that stuff can be a little bit like better kind of left in the past, and actually should we be moving on to a a new era. Um, which which is kind of a bit rich to say because we, we obviously we've got a whole bunch of shows kind of heavily based around the Return of the Jedi type timeline, but um, hmm. I don't know. I, I think it, you you know with great power comes great responsibility, Paul. You can't just be using using your abilities all the time, and I think some mystery is is kind of should be kept.
1: I, I think you're right with the mystery talker. I, I do I do like that. It's um, I just wanted to touch quickly on the Luke relationship with Ahsoka. There was a couple of lines that I just felt were not out of place, but they just sounded odd. And on the rewatch, it really struck home. It was when when Ahsoka went to leave, um, Luke was like, oh, what should I do about him to Ahsoka? And Ahsoka was like, trust your instincts. And then when she was leaving, he shouts out, will I see you again? And she just turned and she was like, perhaps may the force be with you and what i realized was in that moment actually ahsoka is almost the more finished article and the more experienced or something like like the way luke was talking was almost not not a padawan that's not fair but there was there was something in that dynamic which i i just felt was unexpected yeah it's
0: interesting right and that's kind of almost Frustrating at times, the way they kind of talk to each other—it's all kind of va- vagities And oh. <clears throat> I think you're right. In my mind, Ahsoka is the far more experienced Jedi, even though she's she's not officially uh, Jedi anymore. I think because she, you know she's in, undergone full training with Anakin. She's been on millions and millions of missions, um, through the uh Clone Wars. She's led the Resistance. Um, she's a fantastic um swordsman. She's she's well practiced in her craft. Whereas when you think about Luke, Luke, you know, came to um being a Jedi quite quite sort of later in his life. Mm. He had um training from obviously Master Yoda. Um but it was very sort of rapid, right? And so you know, Ahsoka, I think Ahsoka versus Luke, Ahsoka hands down. She's she's taken she's cleaning them up.
1: We haven't got time to talk about it now, but I have always wondered given that Yoda and uh, Obi-Wan sort of passed um, how and when Luke got all that training, I'm guessing that there must be some stuff between Empire and Return of the Jedi that we haven't seen. Um, The other thing I'll just say, you touched on the way Vague answers. Even when Mando walks up to Ah Ahsoka and just says, oh, what are you doing here? And there's just that Jedi way she answers that really frustrates me that all Jedi do from time to time. like, that was going to be my question to you. They never get straight answers. In a, like in a business setting, Dan, I could not have any Jedi as part of the project team I was working on. I can't handle the way they talk. It just frustrates me. <laughs> and then let's come to the the crux of the matter at the end. You know, you can either have Yoda's lightsaber or you can have this beautiful little, you know, youngling, foundling um, thing that Mando's made from you from the Beskar. But, <laughs> but you can't have both.
0: Yeah, yeah, it it so felt like a Mithril vest to me out of uh, Lord of the Rings, like when he sort of holds up the little vest. And it is frustrating that he, that he can't have both because I think what's interesting about the vest, right, is if Grogu does stay with the with the Luke and at the temple, the vest might ultimately save him when Kylo goes on a killing spree, um, and you know, ends all of the – like, I think he's ultimately going to end up with both, and I I honestly – I couldn't tell you what way he's going to go. If I had those choices in front of me, you know, I'd probably go for the training because I love the idea of the lightsaber. But I think Grogu and the Mandalorian have such a a great relationship that I can't not see them together. Um, And so somehow we need both, I don't know how that works out.
1: So, yeah, given his relationship with with Mando, I can see him – choosing that we've, we've also noted as some people have on all the you know on twitter and all the rest that the the ship has got the little you know the little seat where the droid sits which looks like mm-hmm. a perfect little spot for grogu to sit in if there's a number of things like if if he does go with luke then ultimately does that not mean that he at some point pays the price because by the time he gets to the last jello he's he's not there we know that Luke's Academy for the Gifted, sort of like, you know, his Professor Xavier experience didn't go too well. But then of course if he doesn't stay with Luke and if he chooses to go off with the Mandalorian, then that you know, that who knows what happens then and we get to see more of him in season three. Here's another
0: idea for you, Ball. What if, you know, we can kind of have both, right? So the man, so Dan is the Mandalorian. He's basically he's kind of losing his way. Um with, with the Mandalorians and he's kind of been given a bit of an ultimatum. He's been revealing his face, but what if his kind of new thing is he's not a, he's not so much a bounty hunter anymore, but what if he actually works with Luke and he goes out and finds other Jedi, other people with Jedi abilities and brings them back to the school. And so that way he's, it's kind of all connected and together. So He's like a bounty hunter, but for good. Like he's he's like Professor Xavier going out there to find the gifted.
1: <laughs> Dave Filoni just gave me the nod and said, "Can, can we get another sedative for Dan?" <laughs> it's like I love these ideas. I I don't see that happening. I do. I love the idea of that. That sounds like a, a real season three for me because we have talked about this before yeah when we got the other season two like what does the Mandalorian season three look like given that it's no longer adventures and always protecting the kid and needing a babysitter um uh because if grogu comes back of course then that that changes that dynamic there's there's so much also will we see that so let's think about episode seven the final episode will we actually see that choice being resolved in the episode or will they save that to the for the start of episode one of season three
0: If you had asked me last week, I would have said no way we'll see that. But given how the show's going, the way it ends, we seem to be just picking up things straight away. So, you know, we could spend 30 minutes with Luke and Grogu before we even get to to Boba Fett. Who knows? Who knows? Just while you were talking, a few other things actually from this episode that um kind of reminded me is, one, how cool is the uh, Naboo M1 Starfighter yeah. with uh, Din just blasting around the galaxy, blasting through Tatooine, waving at the Jawas. Like, it's such a fantastic little ship. Like, obviously, it's... It's not great for carrying bounties, but it, as you mentioned, does have the great spot for, for Grogu. But just so cool to see him kind of literally like hooning around in the Corvette of spaceships. That's a it's a very fun time.
1: Hooning around is definitely a good uh, analogy. I um yeah, storage space, there's no toilet, you know. There's a few things about this ship that just well, would not be ideal.
0: And it's almost clunky, right? You know, watching the Mandalorian get in and out of it is almost kind of like it doesn't look like a a fast exercise, right? Because you've got all that armour on. The other one scene I wanted to talk to you about is we which was again kind of a jaw dropping, amazing moment, is when Luke um gives us the flashback of Grogu's Memory yes. of Order Sixty Six. Great cool. Now there's a lot going on in there too, right? So obviously Grogu's uh on Coruscant, I presume. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole bunch of sort of breakdowns of of that scene, um, and kind of like, you know, and I think this is just such credit to, I think, people like Dave Filoni. You know, on the door, uh, there's a symbol on the door that very much looks like um, Barris Office. Office,
1: it is. Yes,
0: it, like, like, and it's just like, imagine, like having to take a full measure in your job all the time where you're literally thinking about all of these little details and just knowing the internet's going to eat this stuff for lunch.
1: It's, oh, nothing gets missed, right? Every little detail. I, I, uh, there's a lot there. the The music was fantastic in that flashback. Even they brought out the the Revenge of the Sith type theme. I was thinking in my head, who's who's he with on Coruscant, or how who, who's he with that survives? How does he how does he get away? You know, there's so much that could be explored. That feels like a comic or a book type scenario. Um, there's so much there.
0: There's one, there's one other wildcard thing that's just come to mind in in this. What what about the Bad Batch? What if and, I, like, what if there was, like, a a live cross – like, we get live action Bad Batch as well as animated?
1: Dan, where's the sedatives? You've got to calm down. I've got
0: to calm down. I, calm down. I, I think one last thing on this book of Overfit, because we – if you're not a fan, you might be a little bit over this conversation. Is <laughs> I think we – who knows what we're in for this final episode? By the time you're listening to this podcast, you'll already know, we'll already know, and we'll be back talking about it next week. But the one thing I do expect is a trailer at the end of this yeah. for a future Star Wars related thing. Now, we've had quite a conversation about this offline that, like, you know, the next series that we're expecting is Obi Wan, which is in um, hopefully May, mm-hmm. but it's a very different timeline to. The Mandalorian, so it doesn't quite make sense. There is rumours about the Mandalorian season three coming out at Christmas, so it could be that, mm-hmm. or it could be you know other shows like Ahsoka. I think that's a whole nother level of reward and in credit scene that you should make sure you hang around for to see.
1: Imagine if they shock us all and drop in like a some sort of random teaser for the acolyte or something that not, we all think it hasn't been started on or or something. The Obi One makes the least sense as you say quite correctly because it's timeline wise ahsoka feels like it would be a good one because that's the next new thing we already have a feel for what mando is so a mando season three trailer will be fun will be cool but it may not have as much impact if i'm right about someone like sabine or someone from that era with ahsoka that could be a good in to showing the ahsoka trailer i just hope dan because what you're doing here is and you do this to me a lot, you hype me up and you get my expectations going, I just hope that there is actually a trailer at the end of this uh, book of Boba Fett because there's no guarantee that there is. And now if there's not, I'm going to feel like I've had my dinner but where's the ice cream?
0: I am pretty confident there will be and the fact that I've been looking forward to this since episode one of this, thinking what is going to be our, our end credit. Okay. And I think the end credits is such a, a Disney, Marvel, Marvel yeah. it's almost now Star Wars thing to do. So, I'm pretty confident. I, I'm not going to make any like, beats to sing or anything, but, you know, who knows? I, I think I can't wait to watch. It's going to be exciting. I, I'm just, I'm so hyped up for the whole Star Wars universe right now. It's giving me all the feels about wanting to watch the, you know, watch the movies again, watch more, of, like re-watch the Clone Wars, Rebels, even Bad Batch. Like, I'm definitely keen for a Bad Batch rewatch before Season 2 starts.
1: That would be great. I love the Bad Batch call. Remember, don't try. Do.
0: Well, Paul, that is all of our joint things. Shall we transition over to something a little bit different and talk about our movie of the week?
1: Indeed. So every week Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie to watch. We publish in our disco community what that movie is a week in advance and seven days later we appear on this podcast and talk about it. And this week, Dan, we have the 2016 movie Patriots Day.
0: So Patriots Day is the story of the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing and the aftermath, which includes the citywide manhunt to find the terrorists responsible. So this is a slightly older movie, as you mentioned. So 2016. So what are we four or five, six sort of six years ago? Great cast. Mark Wahlberg, uh, J.K. Simmons, John Goodman, um, Rick Kidd. It's, it's, this is a, a very intense. And I would say very good movie. How did you find this one?
1: Yeah, tech uh, and tech, too intense and very good. This is a really hard-hitting movie. It's a really, it's an incredible watch. It's a a very stressful watch. I found watching the start in particular. I don't know about you, but I found watching the start very stressful because, of course, we know what is to come, and so I'm sort of you know, showing people in their everyday lives and excitement about the race waiting for that moment they're introducing characters for no apparent reason and so i'm already worried about them and you know just looking at everyone and knowing and you know and i say this as someone not even remotely close or, or connected and i cannot imagine what it must have been like for people when you know in boston for americans people who knew someone there or You know, and it's really not that long ago. And this was twenty sixteen, and of course, as you said, it was twenty thirteen that the bombing. It was very. It was made very soon after, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think that can sometimes be the risk with movies that come out so so soon after a big event, right? Like it's you want to give the the story the time it needs to kind of develop and grow. You need to be uh, conscious of. Um, the emotional toll and the experiences that people are still living. But I think what this movie does so well, and even though it's sort of got your, you know, I, I think Mark Wahlberg, I think kind of like action hero type guy, I think it's like this This is such a, a, a fantastic performance. And I think it does such a good job of taking you on that journey, giving you a little bit of um, flavor for the characters who, you know, ultimately a lot of them get, don't come out of this too well, but also kind of like the pace that everything's happening. So, mm. you know, and you're also at the same time getting the view through the uh, through the, the terrorists. And I think that just like, you know, when, when the bomb first goes off in this movie, the intensity and the chaos of just, you know, there's all these policemen around, but just no one knowing what to do and no yeah. one being quite sure what's happening, almost kind of like unbelievable that this could even happen. And just like, they did, I think Peter Berg does a, as a director, fantastic job of kind of making you feel anxious and kind of like worried for everyone. And, you know, your heart's racing just as much. Well, sort of everyone's trying to work out what to do, working out what's actually happened, working out who needs to be involved. I think seeing the police and the FBI and um, everyone sort of like come together to try and solve it. Like, and I just think, you know, people like Kevin Bacon, like, you know, fantastic. Mark Warburg, fantastic. Like a John Goodman, fantastic. And mm. I think, it the the I think the level of acting and the the patriotism that's sort of shown here is is, is so well done. And it, it translates so well as a as a viewer.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It must have been uh, an emotional experience for all of those actors to to actually be in this movie and, and to be acting out the, these scenes it felt to me and you sort of touched on it like a felt like a, an honest account uh, and what I mean by that is um, like a lot of often Hollywood movies are, are accused of you know sort of overplaying over dramatizing or over making that there's there's heroes or whatever but I felt like they showed some some things in this they showed mistakes that were being made by by the Boston police, by the, by the feds, the confusion, as you said, not knowing exactly what to do. There was that kind of, it kept it feeling very real. And from my perspective, it was very authentic. And the other thing that they did on top of that, which um, Peter Berg did very well, was they used real footage. They used pieces of real footage very well. And then they filmed some scenes Using a, a camera or in a manner that made it that it blended it into the CCTV or, or using handheld camera footage that made for a very immersive experience, which perhaps isn't the most appropriate thing to say, but of course, that made it very tense, very upsetting, and just shocking.
0: Yeah, no, this is a intense movie. This is actually the the second time I've seen this movie, and so the first time I saw it was actually on a plane you know for the old time podcast listeners mm-hmm. listeners and at the time it was it was it was like this is probably four God, probably four years ago five years ago, back when we we're allowed to travel and it was sort of a bit of a disrupted viewing experience on the plane, and I've always wanted to go back and watch it and going into this movie, I was a little bit worried like is the is the suspense and the kind of the the sh- the shock factor and the intensity of this movie is still going to work, and mm. I've got to say it completely does. In fact, I got more out of it on this watch than obviously watching it on the plane. So it was a a a good rewatch.
1: That's interesting. That yeah, that this sort of movie does have that impact the second time around, and and I guess I'm not really surprised it does. But the performances, as you say, I know we often talk about these performances, but you know, someone like John Goodman for me, I don't always associate with serious roles as you know we all know him from many comedies but he was very very good here you and i did a you know, matt Wahlberg. you and i did a peak performance for him i looked it was way back in podcast 59 and i would potentially revisit that conversation on the strength of this performance i, I thought he mm-hmm. gave a really superb performance here
0: And it's like, when I think of Mark Wahlberg, I don't necessarily think of this movie, but having rewatched it now, as you say, very much right up there, I think he does a fantastic job. I think, and you can't go past that Boston accent, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and and someone like Mark, he's, you know, born and bred, right? So it's, it it just comes so natural, but I just love hearing that, like, kind of thick sort of Irish American accent. And there's that fantastic scene uh, near the end of the movie where this Boston policewoman's on the roof and these FBI people come along all the way in the same spot and she's like, This is my roof. I'm not moving. Yeah. And it's just it sounds like the most Boston thing ever. In fact, you know, I was in America once and I got on a plane and I was wearing a New York Yankees hat and this air hostess um from Boston was like, Excuse me, sir, excuse me we do not wear New York Yankee hats on this plane. And, like, she was, like, kind of, like, sassing me and joking me, but I'm, like, you know how terrifying it is with traveling in America. you just like, oh, God, what have I done wrong? <laughs> and she was just, like, going to town on me for wearing this New York Yankees hat. And it's just given me such a, like, I still have fond memories of it. And, like, she just seems so like awesome. And hearing all of these thick Boston accents was a, was a great time. It, it made me want to watch more sort of – uh you know, TV shows with, with that going on.
1: Yeah. Oh, look, for years I have always thought and maintained that the New York accent, you know, I think about all the gangster movies and all the rest, of it, oh, that's the pinnacle, you know, with respect to our American listeners, the New York accent seems to be the one that draws me in. But I think, you know, having watched this and, and movies like The Town, there's something about that, the Boston, the way they draw out their words that's mm-hmm. even more, I don't know, there's just something really Unique and wonderful about that accent, which you know just just draws you in even more. And you know, I mean, we're talking about accents here or for a movie about a uh, you know a horrific event. And one of the things I was going to ask you, Dan, was how you felt about the um, the placement of the humor in this movie. Because for me, I, I thought it kind of represented some of the the, the boston's sort of resilience and spirit. But I felt kind of guilty or I felt terrible laughing at Leo. And I was laughing at Leo during a movie like this because some of the things that these guys were saying, especially like J.K. Simmons, were just genuinely funny.
0: Yeah, I actually thought it humanized it for me. So it was, yes, like it sort of feels like you shouldn't be laughing at these things. But I think, you know, that this is also kind of real life tales. And I think, you know, people aren't serious because of, you know, of potential catastrophic or terrible events about to happen like people people still kind of behave that way and i and i from everything we've seen about um you know boston policemen and firefighters and and you know military and like there's there's such a level of like banter between everyone and that sort of runs true for everything like if if we didn't see that in other shows it might have felt kind of out of character but it for me it felt in character
1: yeah okay that's interesting and um the other thing was and we've talked about this a lot we've talked about it with Banner brothers we've talked about it with lion we've talked about it with um a number of things but again at the end when they bring out the the actual police officers commissioner the special agent those moments are really really always special but they're so hard hitting in a movie in a movie like this i thought it, it was just really well done i thought it was also interesting of course that Unlike a lot of his movies with Peter Berg, Mark Warburg's character actually is a complete fiction created for the film that sort of like takes us through the journey.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think the other thing, speaking of sort of, they like obviously cut to real life um, video footage when they're using CCTV footage of, you know, inside the gas station yeah. or um, any sort of scenes. And I thought that was another interesting way to kind of bring the realism of this event to life that like obviously you know some of these scenes might be sort of like and the the drama is increased but again I thought it did a good job of kind of paying homage to kind of like I guess what was happening as well as making it a a compelling and interesting story I'll tell you the one thing that did actually stick out for me and I think that it's you know obviously just the, the changing nature and changing times is Obviously, there, wasn't, there was no COVID in um, yeah. in 2013, yeah. and just seeing that many people close together kind of was almost a little bit terrifying. In in today's world,
1: yeah, and I think particularly for us here in New Zealand, because we're 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 not so far down the road as perhaps some countries are in terms of opening back up in that respect, as as some places are. So yeah, I had that same sort of uh, anxiety seeing those things. It was um, the other thing that was interesting was there was parts where, of course my memory of what happened was sort of cloudy but like i remember that they got one guy and then the other guy was on the loose and i was kind of like i couldn't remember you know how they got him but then of course when they got to the boat i remember seeing all the images and it all just it all just comes back and it's just a, again just another um recognition of how 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 relatively recently this all was
0: Mm, no definitely what do you give this on the uh akimbo scale paul
1: uh yeah it's a. Uh, I gotta go all the way i feel like this scores across the board for me i i, I don't come in with any i normally make a, like i always try and make at least three positive notes and a, a few negatives i come in with nothing negative on this one i just i felt it and i'm surprised dan as to why it's scoring you know like a 69 meta score 7.4 i don't know what else could be done to have made this type of movie any more effective, and uh, I use the word in, in a brief, you know, enjoyable.
0: Yeah, look, I'm I'm going to go all the guns as well. This is a, a four four guns for me. Um, I don't have any any complaints. I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, which feels wrong to say mm. given mm. it's a true true story. Uh, But yeah, this is, for me, a completely well done movie and great cast, great acting and stands the test of time so far.
1: Yep, one of Peter Berg's best.
0: You can watch that on Neon here in New Zealand. Shall I whip us on over to the news
1: desk? Before you go, Dan, just a quick question for you, as we sometimes do, of everything that we've watched this week. Of course of everything you've watched by yourself and joint reviews, what is your pick of the week this week, Dan? Oh,
0: God, I, I hate to say it, but it's got to be The Mandalorian. Sorry, The, <laughs> the Book of <laughs> the Fett again. That was a real slip of the tongue, isn't it? That, that It was that episode because I think there was so much fan service that my bucket was full at the end of it. I just felt so happy and so joyous. And though I've had a fantastic time watching some of these other movies and uh, Yellow Jackets, nothing stands out for me um, like chapter six of The Book Above a Head.
1: Yeah, look, I'm the same. I am I mean, I guess you can almost probably, if you look at the show notes, you better be able to see how long we spent talking about it. It felt like <laughs> looking at how long we've been recording, we must have spoken for some time. It was a special episode. And the in terms of the amount of things and the significant characters that showed up, um, and despite my warning over the overuse of Luke going forward, this was historic, and I'm uh, as I said it. I still don't think we can fully appreciate it. It might be something we look back on in time and go, Ah, remember that episode? I I, I feel that. What that's what it's going to do.
0: Indeed, indeed, that's a good reminder. Okay, so on the news this week, so. Um, Amazon Prime has recently released um, Reacher, which is based on the Jack Reacher books by Lee Child and they have already confirmed just after the premiere that Season 2 is in development so that maybe is a a TV show that you and I could review at some point, Paul.
1: That sounds like a great idea. I have never read the books but I love the movies and I'm all in. I'm
0: a big fan of... I've read a few of the books, really enjoyed them, big fan and I mixed feelings on the Tom Cruise version of Reacher, but I'm look I think looking at the trailer for this, uh Amazon know what they're doing with this one. Excellent stuff. Cool. Alright, so uh what else have we got here? Um it's Super Bowl weekend uh in America and so that means a whole bunch of trailers and uh good things and we are going to get the first trailer for the Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. So Pretty excited for this one. They've recently released a whole bunch of um, quite intriguing posters of various people's hands and um, various states with gauntlets and armor and all sorts of stuff. So that is uh, coming later this year. Very excited.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We've already talked about uh, the uh, Obi-Wan series release date may have been accidentally leaked a little bit earlier in the week. Um, there was a, a tweet that was released by someone that worked at uh, Disney saying that it will be coming out in May 2022. That tweet has since been deleted um, and that account has gone private. But that does make sense to me. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that this is going to be a, a May the 4th Be With You release. So I am expecting that pretty soon. Yep. Um, it looks like, and there's also some news for The Mandalorian Season 3, that it's looking likely that we're going to get a December uh, 2022 release date, meaning that it's been about two years since we've had our, our last season. But I think they've whet our appetites um, with the book of Boba Fett, yeah. so I don't feel quite so salty about that. Uh there's also a lot of Star Wars news today. Um, the Andor TV show, which is also coming soon, um, is already um season two is in the works for that as well, which I think is is fantastic news. Great that they're we're going to be getting more than one season. Brilliant. And uh, a few episodes ago, I talked about how there was going to be a um, a continuation of the X-Men 1997 uh, animated series. And so those 10 episodes, which are going to come out in 2023, are actually going to pick up exactly where um, they ended back in, oh God, it was... 20-plus years ago, so apparently ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. I can't quite remember what that cliffhanger is, but it's a it's a series I want to go back and watch on Disney+, plus, and I'll definitely do that before uh, the new series comes out, and I think that's very exciting. And then one final bit of news here. So um, a couple of the actresses from True Blood are going to launch a, a podcast. So uh, Deborah Ann Wall and... Uh, Kristen Bauer are going to release an episode by episode podcast of, of True Blood. So, that was a fantastic HBO TV show back in the day. Kind of went a little bit wayward in its later years, but I'm really enjoying these people that are, and particularly when it's the actors and the and the cast bringing out sort of episode by episode reviews because it almost kind of makes you want to rewatch the show. You get a, a whole bunch of extra context and meaning behind things that are happening, you get behind the scenes trivia. So, that is a podcast that is coming out on Valentine's Day, I believe.
1: Exciting for those...
0: And that—that that is me. What about you, Paul? Any news that you're in?
1: Uh, a couple of things. I said, so the obi one that you talked about, I the tweet I saw was it was um, the Hollywood Reporter had confirmed that it was coming out in May. So that was why I took that to heart. I mean, okay, that's definitely coming in May. They can't take that away from me. So I'm a little nervous. But I think you're right. May the 4th feels right, doesn't it? Picard, season two will air in New Zealand on Amazon Prime. We will get some Star Trek this year, Dan. I know that's important to you. It's certainly important to me. After having no Discovery, no Prodigy, and probably no Strange New Worlds, which is due to start soon, we will at least be getting the second season of Picard. So that was brilliant to have Amazon Prime confirm that. Blessed be the fruit. Indeed. Um, Better Call Saul, the teaser trailer for the final season... Uh, dropped this week it's very brief it's like five six seconds it tells you nothing but it what it does tell you of course is that season six is coming Bob Odenhoek go also tweeted it saying this is our best can't wait for you to see it um so that's great because we've we've had to wait a long time I've sort of on my rewatch I, I sort of slowed down after season one to four deliberately after you know the delay and then while Odenkirk Kirk had his heart attack. So now I feel like I can now dive into season five rewatch and be primed. Because season six of Medical Soul, that's that's gotta be something special as well. And I can't wait to get into episode by episode reviews of that one Dan
0: Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. I think I'm gonna have to do a, a full rewatch as well before before this starts. So I'm gonna have to make sure I sync up my timings for that.
1: You might want to get underway pretty soon because the, the word that's been used is soon and people are di- uh, what's the word dissecting the clues in the in the poster and they're thinking they've worked out some of the things means it's coming out in April but who knows who knows.
0: April's not a good month for me Paul I'm very busy. Yeah
1: th- that's why I said you might want to get on to it. Um, uh, the only other thing of course the Oscar nominations were revealed this week there was a this is normally something that you covered, Dan, but I did want to make a special note that Jane Campion has made Uh, Oscar history as the first woman to be nominated for Best Director twice for the movie. We watched recently The Power of the Dog, 12 nominations for that one, 10 for June. There's a whole bunch of... Nominations, a few snubs as they as they have every year, including the greatest actor of our generation, Leonardo DiCaprio, including Jared Leto from The House of Gucci, including Lady Gaga from The House of Gucci. Apparently, there's a lot of outrage about that. But um, so that's that. Uh, mission Impossible um, Eight is likely to be Tom Cruise's last Mission Impossible mission. Um, that's fine by me. This has been one of those. This has been one of those movie series that I just thought has gone virtually, if you were to line them up virtually, with the exception of the second one, I think from strength to strength. I've just loved this series, and so I can't wait for seven and eight. And then the last thing I had here was just a note that um, Robert Patterson has said that the Batman opening shot is so jarring. It's 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 going to really shock audiences, and it feels unlike any other Batman movie. I'm really starting to get on board the the hype of the Batman movie now because it's been a while since we uh, we saw Batman on our screens.
0: I don't like people. I don't I don't want Robert <laughs> Pattinson telling me that because now I'm already. My expectations is I'm I'm wanting to see some pretty dark things, and I I would almost rather just like just be cool, Rob. You know, just let us experience it and let us be shocked. Like I don't. This is a movie that I'm staying away from every possible trailer. Okay, you know, okay. You know, like, so I've watched the, the, the teaser when it first came out. We've had that big debate about whether Nirvana is awesome or not when we confirmed they were. <laughs> um, and We did. You know, like, I just, I feel like I want to come, I want to go into this as blind as possible.
1: Okay, okay, I'll bear that in mind. Just a quick side note, Rob Pazin also said that he, He makes a lot of stuff up in interviews because he gets nervous and he just wants to stay stuff. So there's a chance that he's just making stuff up. Um, That was all the news I had, Then, So I'll move us across over to the mailbag. We've got a few questions this week, Dan. Um, We're going to... We're going to drop back into Star Wars briefly. Apologies for any listeners who were sick of us talking about it in the Book of Boba Fett. But we, see we had a question from Ash in Palmerston North. Do you think they will wrap up the Darksaber story in Ahsoka or Mandalorian Season 3?
0: My gut feel would be, I don't think it's going to get wrapped up in Season 3, but I think it would be it's more of probably a Mandalorian story. And I think... Um, Oh, I just don't know. The, the, you know the the you know both Bocatan's another character that we could also see in yeah, uh, the final episode of the Book of Boba Fett. But I think the the dark saber has got many a many a story to be told, and I I I think it might
1: continue for a while. Okay, it's interesting because my instinct was actually more Ahsoka because it felt more like in a Jedi world uh, that the saber might have a more natural placing in terms of the story. So interesting i guess we will find out um recommendation here from penny from the republic of ireland of penny dreadful um penny agrees with my assessment of timothy dalton as 007 uh, and says apparently he is awesome in uh, penny dreadful opposite both vespa and tanner from the james bond movie um, who are also in the penny dreadful series as well
0: Wait, can your name be Penny and you also recommend a show called Penny Dreadful? uh, This isn't the actual Penny Dreadful, is it?
1: No, I I believe that Penny may be a nickname for this person from the Republic of Ireland, but I've yet to confirm that. Um, Another question, Dan. uh, This one came up in our Discord this week um, from a North American news correspondent, Sado, who raised the question to sub or not to sub. So when you're watching a movie or TV series – at home, and it's in English or a language that you speak fluently. Do you ever put the subtitles on?
0: In this household, Paul, we have become a, a subtitles-on family ninety percent of the time, and that, and that, So that's even with English English language films, because so often, like. Uh, I don't know about your home audio setup, but ours is through a soundbar. And, you know, often it's quite loud explosions. There's stuff happening. The audio is never quite at the same level. Trying to get your sound just right can be tricky. There's a lot of mumbling. You know, there's movies like Tenant where it sounds like everyone's talking through the Bane with a Bane sort of mask on. And we've just sort of found that actually having the subtitles on, Kind of just gives you that extra context that you sometimes miss. And I'll tell you this, sh- the, the way I kind of came across this was watching movies with my mother and father in law, and they always have the subtitles on. And at first I was like, oh God, this is annoying. And, but actually, it became great because if someone's like, oh, should I put the jug on? Shall I, what just happened there? Like you can kind of continue watching and you can kind of choose, do I want to just, you know, continue listening with my is my ears, or do I actually want to read? And so, and for us, it's just become a, a way of life.
1: I appreciate you, you know, given the uh, translation for, for turning ears to is, but you didn't just for anyone who's wondering the jug, putting the jug on is in fact the kettle. Um, I could not be any further than the other end of the spectrum from this. The idea of having the subtitles on most of the time triggers me in a number of ways. And obviously I exclude, I, I think it sh- we should be inclusive for all of our audience um, you know, whether they're out of hearing or, or what have you. but And I, I, there was a conversation in our Discord community that, you know, um, that kind of talked about, you know, accents. If you're not familiar with like a lot of the sort of British, sort of some of those accents, Scottish accents and Irish accents and so on. I, I, I kind of, I get that um i felt in the minority in that chat because we also had virgil um said that he's he's subtitles all the way i'm just i'm just curious now how many people are actually out there with the subtitles on all the time and i love it when i'm watching something like um narcos or, or or a money heist but if it's in english i just i cannot imagine it and it's just it's just triggering me
0: like if you take a movie like say the um The Gentleman, right? Yeah. Where there's all sorts of like deep English accents, like that that's a great movie for me where I might put the subtitles on. And I'll tell you what becomes glaringly obvious is a few streaming providers don't actually offer, you know, subtitles to the same standard and quality. Correct. So, you know, someone like Netflix is pretty good um and their their subtitles are sort of on the money. But there's other streaming providers who either don't have subtitles or when they do have subtitles it's a bit haphazard in the sense that sometimes they'll present the subtitle before the dialogue spoken and that's really jarring that can sort of be a bit of a, a turn off so look there is times when we'll turn off subtitles so if like it just like we we just don't need it like it's it's super clear we've got kind of the audio all in balance accents are all fine we'll turn it off but you know to be honest like we turned it, you know, on a couple of weeks ago, and we just left it on, and it's just been great. And it's we, we're just so used to it now, It's like we don't even need sound. You know, we're we're in a, we operate on a whole different echelon now here. Paul.
1: It's such a Kiwi thing. Like, should we leave it on? Oh yeah, just leave it. Um, the uh, yeah, the, the the thought in my mind, as you said, that was uh, Empire Strikes Back with uh, Fader sort of reaching out and saying, "No, I am your father," and having that line appear first with would be a killer you know so i i kind of can get i get what you're saying there anyway i wanted to raise the question because i thought it was an interesting an interesting point and our friend said did virtually request that we bring it up on the pod and i feel like he's earned that right
0: i would love it though some people wrote in and and tell us what's your view on this like
1: yeah i yeah i'm keen to hear more because at the moment um if this was a jury then Everyone but me has got the subtitles on, it seems. You're done, mate. I'm done. Get out. Like the salt and pepper, it's not on the table. Um, What else have we got here? So there was a lot of love uh you spoke last week for wheel of time a lot of love for that um quite a few people saying how much they enjoyed that first season although we did have geek girl review from australia um who we hear from from time to time on the pod she's not a fan of it but she is a huge fan of the book series and so i think it sounds like it's one of those situations where you know often people that read the book say oh the, the tv show wasn't as good but this sounds like it was much much worse i mean i'm uncultured so the closest i can ever relate to that is like the da vinci code i, I i'm just saying I can't really give too much on that
0: i think it makes sense right because like i mentioned it's this is a very complex story with lots of different character arcs and um it's you know very high fantasy and i think often those stories are portrayed far better um in a book and i think you know the the general premise for a a tv show is you're trying to make it appeal to the masses and to do that you kind of have to dumb it down a little bit and like you don't always have that like you don't have the time to give the depth you don't have the same ability to um tell character stories and so it, it, it's tough right because you know 99% of the time I don't think I've ever heard someone say I read the book, but I'll tell you what the movie or the TV show was way better. Yeah. Like the book is always better, and I think if you're really strongly passionate about it, sometimes it might almost be better to stay away from it because yeah. I think one one good thing that the the TV shows or movies do is often that actually, you know, um, encourages people to go and read the books and sort of get a whole other level of of character depth. Like the same thing happened to me with Game of Thrones, where I tried to read it. Too stupid, couldn't understand it, watched the TV show, kind of got it, got the characters, understand it, so I could go back and read the book, and it actually made sense. So I'm wondering whether there might be a bit of reverse benefit, um, but it, it does suck when you're a big fan and you don't quite get what you're yeah. what you're truly looking for.
1: I had an interesting experience. The only time I've tried it, in fact, was after watching The Lord of the Rings and being blown away, I decided, well, I, I've got to get on these books. I couldn't get past The Hobbit. I couldn't get past the first book. I just found every... Every line was like one sentence. There was full stops every line. It was just sm- shut your mouth, Paul. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's second right?
0: The Hobbit is a fantastic book, and the, the oh my god, move on, move on.
1: Shut your mouth, Paul. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. I am... Um, yeah, we should probably even cut that out. That is borderline. They may even take my citizenship away. What else have I got here then? Um, uh oh, the producer of. Judas and the Black Messiah, um, Sev O'Hanlon, and the distribution company shared our review on Twitter. We also got a retweet from actor Lil Ray Harry, who played Wayne in the film as well, which was awesome. And finally, we have our peak performance for last week, which was Meryl Streep. We had uh, Gene from Palmerston North went with Mamma Mia. Ryan, California, went with Mancurian Candidate. Uh, Michael from North Carolina picked Adaptation. And Paddy from the Republic of Ireland Time Traveling Team podcast picked his 321 of a series of unfortunate events, Mamma Mia, and The Devil Wears Prada. That is the mailbag this week.
0: Good shout there from uh, Patty slash Penny. Correct. Awesome. Sure, um, we move on over to our peak performance for this week. So much like the movie of the week, each week Paul and I take turns choosing the peak performances of actors, actresses, directors, producers and everyone in between. Who are we looking at this week,
1: Paul? Dan, this week we are going with Christoph Waltz and... This was your, your pick this time around. And as soon as I saw the name, I was like, oh, that is a great shout because there are some some wonderful performances from him. So great shout. Um, shall I kick us off? Go for it. So uh, honorable mention for me, I'm actually going to go with uh, the 2015 performance as Ernst Stavro Blofeld in Spectre. And I've gone with that because I felt like it, I felt like it was such a big role to to come into. Like most people have a vision in their head of who Blofeld is. And I just thought he gave the role something different, very chilling and sinister. And even now, every time I hear the word or see the word cuckoo, I think of him saying that, you know, oh, James, you know, and... and it's it's really resonating through me now when i see the word he's he's you know he also had to come in as a villain and, and had to follow um xavier badem who was superb in skyfall which was a you know as i've said before a powerhouse of a bomb movie and while specter wasn't necessarily loved widely i don't think anyone is ever pointing the finger at christoph waltz for um Blowfell. so that's my honorable mention but the the peak performance for me um just simply well have to go with Colonel Hans Lunder from the 2009 movie *Inglorious Bastards*. I would say his character is, with the exception of Uma Thurman in Kill Bill and maybe um, Jamie Foxx in Django and Jane, I would say his is the most iconic Tarantino character for me. I just, in terms of characters that I remember from the first watch of watching a Tarantino movie, which you know he used to be in the cinema not so much recently, but like he was absolutely terrifying and the manner and the the as as this you know this is this nazi um colonel um the, the superiority and the fun he had playing that role was genuinely iconic and and I remember when you and I did our tarantino um movie rankings all the way back in episode podcast episode 45 i had inglorious bastard as my number two and i feel like christopher Walt, christoph waltz was a massive reason for that because it's just exceptional and yeah i know he's done a whole bunch of stuff before this but i this is for me is when he came on my radar
0: well this is going to be a, a very short uh, peak performance for me because i'm exactly the same as you i went for christoph waltz in Spectre, and for the same reason, like not my favourite James Bond movie, but fantastic introduction of Blofeld, and then exactly the same in Glorious Bastards. I think I can't think of a a better villain. And you're right, he was he was so terrifying when he's sort of playing that cat and mouse game, particularly in the in the opening scenes. And oh, it's just it's fantastic. He's a fantastic actor, fantastic um, bad guy. Um, I I almost said uh, uh, Django Unchained, but I yeah. I, I just couldn't. And Glorious Bastards is is too good.
1: Great stuff. We're in sync for once on some things, just not the Lord we of the Rings may Ring not box. be
0: about Lord of the Rings, but we're, we're here for our peak performance. So, Paul, this brings us probably to the end of a, a rather long episode, 103 of the Half Measures podcast.
1: Yeah, I'd say this is right out there with some of our longest episodes ever. Thanks for making it all the way through and listening. Um, and yeah, get in touch with us if you have anything to say about the lord of the rings books about the book of boba fett any other books um peak performance anything subtitles do get in touch um facebook twitter instagram at halfmeasurespod or at halfmeasurespodcast.com
0: also a very special shout out to our patreon producers of the show samara king trisha brady diana Kanawa, and linda tevna we couldn't do it without you if you too would like to become a patron of the show then you can find those details in the show notes below But until next week, everyone, adios.